Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 50. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and this is a pretty special show. Uh, in addition to being our 50th episode or thereabouts, I think we've thrown in a couple uh, non-official episodes in there, uh, but we have a new co-host. So before I get to that, we are presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet. We are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Always got to take care of the sponsors. And now I'm very happy to introduce Taylor Fulton, uh, who has done some writing for the bucket problem. Actually, she guest posted while I was on vacation a couple months ago about Michigan's NHL prospects. Um, she's done her own Substack, uh, a lot of stuff around Buffalo. Uh, what am I missing Taylor and welcome? I don't know. Um, I'm a jerk online. Um, your so seltzer hi. bomb. If, he, if, he, if people go, uh, if, if people go by Twitter handles instead of real names, um, we are very happy to welcome Taylor, um, also known as Seltzer Mom, to the uh, Bucket Problem uh, co-host uh, cohort. I definitely regret saying it like that. That's um. completely fine. <laughs> I mean, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I am looking forward to, you know, just firing off some takes, um, doing doing Twitter, but with, with words instead of typing them out. Um, I, I mean, just a little about me. I am Seltzer Mom on Twitter. Um, I am a Michigan alum, which is always a fun thing to tell people. It's very weird because when you're like, I went to Michigan, it sounds really stupid. So I, I try not to tell people it's very weird. Um, but anyway, um, I went to school there for four years as they do. And they conferred upon me a bachelor's degree. Um, some other things to know about me. Um, I am an editor and a writer at die by the blade. So if you are a Buffalo Sabres fan, I assume none of you are, but if you are, um, I am writing a wee bit over there. Um, talking hockey, talking Sabres, um, Oh, and power. Which, yes. Owen oh, power. Um, so I talk, so I talk a little hockey over there. Um, and yeah, we've got a lot of Michigan men over over here. Not that being a Michigan man is always a good thing, um, as I'm <laughs> sure we'll get to very soon. But um, okay. we've got our good we've got our good hockey boys um, over there. Uh, and I'm sure when Eric Portillo doesn't sign um, with the Buffalo Sabers, I'll have some things to say about that uh, down the line. Um, but other than that, yeah, just huge football fan, a huge college football fan and have been for a long time. And I'm just excited to be here. Um, and also just really excited to make this a Mountain West podcast uh, because go Pokes, Josh Allen. He's the best. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm expecting you to launch a coup with Connor in honor of uh, Josh Allen so we can celebrate the large himbo QB who will apparently deliver us from all of our problems. Yeah. When the Bills win the Super Bowl, I think Connor and I should have a victory lap episode. Um, and then it's going to be really fun. If, if the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl, you guys can definitely have your own episode. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I think that we're allowed to have a, like a victory lap episode um it'll be two hours long um it'll it's gonna be a lot of fun i think you're gonna really enjoy that for for all of that michigan you know we're gonna slowly convert all of the michigan fans into bills fans because i mean like what do you have like the lions like is that how's that going is that going okay no um 
No, no, it's not. It's really gone poorly. Um, this is your big mood, by the way, isn't it? That you're, it, you're it, trying to convert us all. It is. Um, I've kind of, yeah, just I have uh, segued into my big mood, which is, again, I'm just happy to be here. Um, and this will become the nation's leading Buffalo Bills slash Mountain West podcast. Um, I just think that Josh Allen's going to deliver us to the promised land. Um, and I have no takes about Michigan football at this time. I am Entirely so fair. ready to be converted from a Lions fan <laughs> to a Bills fan. Like, it's cool that we drafted Aiden Hutchinson, like, poor guy, but <laughs> I sweet boy. I saw that Drew McGarry was soliciting um, uh, responses for his Why Your Team Sucks NFL <laughs> preview series, which I loved back in 2012. I assume I haven't read it in recent years, but I'm assuming it's, it's pretty much pretty much the same exact thing. And it's like, why, why, why the Lions suck? I mean, where do you even begin to possibly start there? I mean, uh, I feel like Dan Campbell's really like inspiring, and and people are behind him. And that said, you are going to have the best four win season of your life. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah, we're hoping to get C.J. Stroud, who fortunately will not have to play outside too much <laughs> in Detroit. <laughs> I mean, Fair like enough. Dan Campbell being a large, jovial man is at least a change from uh, Matt Patricia being a uh, large, uh, completely, uh, uh, just a complete asshole, really. So, uh, you know, this is progress for for Alliance fandom is feeling like I can root for the coach without hating myself so that's something honestly the losses are kind of a given it's just what kind of flavor we have with the losses and (laughs) dan campbell's flavor is definitely spicier than what we've been used to in detroit so i'm excited to see all the trick plays and onside kicks and yeah like you said probably 70 yard field goals that doink off the crossbar and bounce in to beat the lions which honestly at that point you're like yes please please go in this is yeah this is a way to lose that i've never seen before and i want to savor every every type of loss possible at this point I certainly can't relate. Um, please don't ask me about <laughs> the years like 2000 to 2017, but um, I can't relate. My memory is, is a goldfish memory. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what it's like to lose except for to the Jaguars that one time. That was bad, but that didn't make me happy. Goldfish memory is definitely the way to consume Michigan athletics right now for the most part. Um, Alex, you are going to continue our big moods that don't quite have uh, anything to do with Michigan, but uh, this has a Big Ten connection, so I feel like it's totally on the table. Yeah, and kind of keeping in the state of Michigan sports theme, my big mood, and I haven't been on the podcast since the NBA draft, so I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I love that the Pistons landed Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran in the draft. That was an amazing draft. It's, it's really awesome to see how quickly the franchise has rebooted itself after they kind of moved on from trying to be like a, a play in level team and just completely tore it down. Obviously they got Cade Cunningham as the number one pick in last year's draft. And he's shown promise as a future potential all NBA player, but Jaden Ivy, like he, he received a lot of John Morant comparisons, which I think is very lofty and ambitious, but with the type of, quickness and athleticism and just electricity really that he handles the ball with and and makes plays with. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, I did notice the other day when some NBA blogger posted the 
win total over unders that the Pistons were like the fifth lowest. So I'm assuming they're going to suck again, but again, it's about the flavor of sucking and sucking with really talented young players who will potentially grow into, into stars is, is definitely exciting. And yeah, as you mentioned, the big time connection there, um, before the draft, I didn't really want Keegan Murray to fall to the Pistons. I think it'll be really interesting to see how his career plays out. He's a guy where it's like, okay, if you're drafted by somebody other than the Kings, I have really high hopes for you. But since <laughs> since you got picked by the Kings, I'm not feeling great. Uh, current Piston Marvin Bagley definitely fits that mold as well. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens in Detroit. I know uh, without – I so I currently have YouTube TV. That is my – way that i watch sports and i don't have valley sports detroit on there same um, here which i'm not missing out on much considering that pistons are trash the tigers are trash i'm not really a hockey guy but the red wings are not very good either (laughs) they're also trash (laughs) also trash um i mean the eyes are planned i have faith but you know it's a it's a long-term thing right so i you know Jaden ivy almost enough to get me to consider subscribing 20 bucks a month to like Bally sports individual. Pack. If it wasn't legitimately more than Netflix, I would, I would possibly be on board, but man, they are really charging a premium. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm not pleased about that whole situation. Cause I'd also like to be able to just like randomly tune into a tiger's game when I'm very, very bored, say right about now, now, there's nothing happening except some Formula One races every once in a while. Which yeah, and I don't want to climb too far down this rabbit hole, but it's a huge bummer that the World Cup got bumped to like the peak of the U.S. sports season in November and December. Um, well, at least it was peak. for very good reasons. Yeah, right. Very good reasons. I can't believe Qatar, like they actually pitched with a straight face that they would build outdoor air-conditioned stadiums to be good um, <laughs> on the Persian Gulf in the middle of July for, for soccer. Uh, Just I, as, as brazenly corrupt an organization as you're ever going to find. Uh, right. Really, yeah, really spectacular. And we focus so much on the NCAA, but the NCAA's level of corruption and I, I oh, it's it's don't even play. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even like to really use that word because like I feel like there's some grift in college football among the higher ups, but I don't think that like it's not like same... affecting economies, like, right. <laughs> like national economies. Yeah, and FIFA's like, well, Qatar, if you drop some huge bags on us, we're gonna let you build these awful horrendous stadiums with <laughs> yeah imported slave labor um just kind of look the other way and yeah the the comments that the qataris have made about like lgbt representation at the world cup it's yeah it's looking it's looking pretty bad but yeah anyways all of that is to say like can't watch tigers games in the afternoon can't watch like world cup <laughs> games in the afternoon right now it truly is a time for me to go outside and I mean, you could always watch Live Golf if you're looking for an ethical sports league. (laughs) We need to uh, bring our friend Ben Gorin onto the podcast to talk about Live Golf. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ben gets brought up in an unflattering context in literally every episode, and I feel bad about it. But he is a Northwestern fan, a Sixers fan, and a golf fan. And that is a really brutal combination right now. Sorry. That is like, that is wild. I don't know if I would necessarily want to tell people that. No, I mean, I don't know necessarily if I would call him a Northwestern fan right now, as I would call him uh, 
just uh, in a really terrible relationship with Northwestern athletics. Um, That's fair. And, uh, you know, our thoughts go out to him. Oh boy. There's just no good way to transition into this. Uh, (laughs) So God, I feel extremely awful that this is Taylor's first episode. And like, I'm trying to figure out this morning, you know, what we're going to do for segments. And the very first thing that pops up on my Twitter feed is, um, that Jim Harbaugh has made comments at a uh, anti-abortion right to life uh, conference uh, where he and his wife, Sarah, were keynote speakers. Uh, This was on Sunday. Um, The free press was the first outlet I saw that was uh, publishing quotes from it. Um, I'm going to keep this quick, quick, but it's too big of a story to ignore at this point. Um, I first want to read what Mary Sue Coleman, uh, who is still Michigan's interim president at this point, um, said after uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Uh, This was an official University of Michigan release that was uh, very much intended, along with um, Michigan Medicine CEO, to kind of state U of M's position. Um, And... Coleman said, quote, uh, I strongly support access to abortion services and I will do everything in my power as president to ensure we continue to provide this critically important care. Our campus is more than half women. We care about our own communities as well as those we serve through clinical care and education. I am deeply concerned about how prohibiting abortion would affect UM's medical teaching, our research, and our service to communities in need. Um, safe to say that Jim Harbaugh's appearance did not line up with Michigan's values, and I will read off uh, kind of the pull quote of what he said in there, um, which was in God's plan, each unborn human truly has a future filled with potential talent, dreams, and love. I have living proof in my family, my children, and the many thousands that I've coached. The unborn are amazing gifts from God to make this world a better place. To me, the right choice is to have the courage to let the unborn be born. Um, I'm not here to debate the value of his stance. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, uh, you have probably, um, stuck it out with me through some other political opinions. You can probably guess my stance on this. I am uh, pretty ardently pro-choice, but I think we can acknowledge that we're not going to be changing minds on this topic. And the most that's going to come out of this is some sort of public statement from the university. And uh, maybe uh, I would say, hopefully a behind the scenes request not to uh, do this again because uh, I cannot imagine giving U of M's uh, stated position uh, on abortion that they would have signed off off on Harbaugh in his capacity as uh, Michigan's head coach, uh, being a keynote speaker uh, at this event. Uh, that would be very surprising to me. Um, so it's disappointing. I don't have much else to say that you uh, probably can't already kind of guess my feelings about it and. Um, I don't think it's something that's going to result in Harbaugh's uh, firing by any <laughs> measure, but um, I do think, you know, um, there's going to be understandable uh, and, you know, kind of unnecessary discussion about why Michigan's coach is even there in the first place. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be definitely interesting. Um, I would just jump in again. This is my first episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, and, and I feel like, again, if you want to like get into the discourse, if you want to have a, a debate of some kind, go on Twitter, twitter.com. It's a really healthy space to argue <laughs> and have debate. Um, 
really, you're going to have a fun time. Um, you know, so if you want to talk about where your opinion lies in that discourse, go somewhere else. I think you might also glean how I feel about this. Um, I would just also say that, that me personally, um, while I do know he was at a fundraiser and that kind of rubs me the wrong way, I do sort of think that Jim Harbaugh has this weird, like, iconoclast view of himself and like all of the words he says and he's just going to keep saying whatever he wants to say and I personally can't necessarily it's not that I wouldn't get mad about it because I do think what he said is real dumb for me personally but um I also think that this is the same man who like recited lose yourself like it's high art like it was like Shakespeare he's afraid of eating chicken I think that once you you kind of realize that this is just who he's been for a very long time and that he is not going to change, I think those, those comments in context, especially when he's talking about potential talent, dreams, and love, and all of this, like, just wild stuff, um, I think it kind of puts into context, like, where his head is at all the time. Like, even in a football context, you kind of you know, there is Jim Harbaugh's like world. And then that's the rest of it does not necessarily like, not necessarily apply to him, but it doesn't really doesn't register. Really, <laughs> right. Right. So I think that, you know, again, if you personally, you know, have convictions like I do and are not super happy about this, I totally am with you. I understand. I am also very publicly like not happy about this, but at the same time, I I try to remember who this person is and it, with all due respect, he's kind of an idiot. So I just kind of like, let it go until he eats chicken. Maybe we'll have a, <laughs> we'll have a conversation then. There is also the context of um, Jim Harbaugh within the wider world of football coaches, which is if you want Jim Harbaugh to be fired for this, um, good luck finding a football coach just in general, like it's, it's a different world. Um, and, uh, like, I mean, I am a very political person, but I, I know there's a reasonable extents to that and, uh, uh, expecting like quote unquote, good politics out of your football coach is like not really a reasonable expectation. And as long as he's, it's, he's doing like football coach stuff, fine. And it's not, uh, an issue like Nick Rolovich, where it's like a, it, like an open public health problem or something like that, where he's putting his own players in at risk. Uh, the other coaches that he's around. Um, I mean, I certainly don't agree with the stance, and uh, but I, I I don't think it's something where it really impacts his job. I do think that it is worth noting that most coaches don't really take their political activism to that level. And yes. You know, for mm -hmm. me, growing up in Michigan, uh, being a quote unquote Michigan man, having Michigan man and woman parents, um, I've always seen U of M as like a super li liberal institution. So to see the figurehead of the university, who is a football coach, make headlines for pro-life comments, definitely surprising. Um, and with Michigan, you know, abortion will be on the ballot in November. So I do wonder if Harbaugh will continue his political activism through the season or not. I think that's an open question. Um, 
I do think that he pretty much can get away with virtually anything in his role as Michigan's coach, just because he beat Ohio state and won the big 10, uh, long flirtation with the Vikings, um, you know, make, yeah, appearing, appearing as a keynote speaker at a, at a rally is different than an off the cuff comment to me, but yeah, I think, um, maybe he'll be reprimanded in private. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, that's Harbaugh. Yeah, yeah. He is a, a very unique guy. I think he is a very staunch Catholic. And I think that his, religion Oh, we don't have to guess on that. <laughs> yeah, no, like his religion definitely guides how he feels about a, yeah. a wide variety of issues that don't necessarily always fit, uh, on the left, white, right binary. Um, yes. but I guess all of that is to say like Jim, you're a football coach. I, I guess for me, if he were supporting political causes that I agreed with, I would applaud him. And if he's supporting right. political causes that I disagreed with, I would tell him to <laughs> please be quiet and keep coaching football. Yeah, so, there's definitely some of that binary there. Though I, I will say that this is a very rare instance of uh, a coach saying something that goes directly against uh the stated principles of their university. Yeah. Right. And when, when you're the face of a large institution like Michigan, I think you're, um, I don't know, as, as a private citizen, of course, you know, this is America, free speech, first amendment, you can say anything that you want. That becomes complicated when you are the figurehead of a, a large university to the point that you made by reading Mary Sue Coleman's statement at the beginning of, of this little segment, uh, Jim Harbaugh's pro-life stance doesn't align with the university stance. I personally, this issue, um, I do feel very strongly about it as well. And yeah, I just, I, I wasn't happy to see the headline uh, this morning. No, I'll leave it at oh, no, no, no. It's that... not something that you want to, it's not something that in any way you want to be like, oh, this seems like it's going to be a fun day for me online. Um, I, I guess I would just like wrap it up and just kind of say like, I would be curious to see, especially because, again, I am not in Michigan, but um, I keep an eye on on Michigan politics pretty regularly, a bunch of friends there, uh, things like that. I, I do think that, I mean, knowing Harbaugh is also kind of like terminal football brain once the season is on, um, you know, I don't necessarily seeing him sticking his neck out for this much more. Obviously, this is getting bigger headlines because it is also the off season and, um you know, it's, it's pretty prominent news. I mean, it would be prominent news any time of year, but certainly um, in the doldrums of the off season, um, finding this stuff out, there's, you have more space to talk about it. There's nothing else that's going to necessarily bury this, bury this headline. Um, It'll be, I, I would be curious and I doubt he would let that be a distraction in the football season. Um, But with that said, you know, there's constant rumors about his flirtation with the NFL, with, other sorts of distractions that he says aren't distractions and, and things like that. So that would be kind of my only thought to kind of wrap this back into football is if, you know, if he's going to be publicly sticking his neck out for, um, you know, maybe I don't know what's on your ballot specifically, but, you know, any sort of like anti-choice candidate or anything of that nature that would be which kind of coincides with football season that would be my only like thought right now is if if his political um dalliance with with the um 
Christian right continues at this point. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is uh, it will be on the ballot pretty much uh, an abortion law, whether to make it illegal or keep access legal. Yeah, so in 2018, they had the redistricting ballot measure. They had the legalized weed ballot measure. It is nice to live in a state where citizens can't vote can't vote directly on that as yes. opposed to like having it get thrown to a gerrymandered legislature um for what it's worth i think i mean it to put the abortion on the ballot had the most signatures of any petition ever submitted uh for this kind of ballot initiative so i think um there's going to be a lot of people voting on that issue so we'll see how it shakes out yeah um just to touch on what taylor said and then uh we will move on from this um i would be surprised if harbaugh continues hitting this issue i'll put it that way uh particularly in uh public settings and particularly in any sort of official setting like he did on sunday um i think uh i think the university is probably going to uh put their foot down a little bit there i'd be surprised if there are any public consequences that extend beyond that but i would also be surprised if we continue hearing this into november uh despite the ballot measure because uh you can rely on jim harbaugh to uh put football uh as the priority and um it would not be beneficial to him or the football team for him to continue uh talking about this into november i think uh pretty much everybody could agree on that um Sure. That said, uh, we are going to talk uh, about position battles other than quarterback, because uh, I think um, certainly on this podcast and bits and pieces uh, and elsewhere, there's been quite a bit of discussion on Cade McNamara versus JJ McCarthy. Uh, The only thing I'll add to it right now is that Cade McNamara is going to be one of Michigan's uh, representatives at media day, which often has some meaning. so that seems to be where they're leading right now. Um, but you never know. Um, so we are going to, I, I was actually inspired to include this segment because I saw a quote from Rod Moore um, about how he was not sure uh, he expected to come into fall camp as a, as a backup and have to earn his starting job. I had kind of had him in pen as a starting safety. So if that's a, a real starting battle, uh, I assume with Makari Page, then I'm pretty excited about where the safety position is at because Rod Moore was excellent uh, last year as a freshman. That's Uh, a perfect comment from a gritty undersized safety who everybody clearly acknowledges is really good, especially as a freshman being like, Oh yeah, you know, I I just hope to make my way onto the field this fall. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I love Rod Moore's attitude about this whole thing. Uh, But uh, we were, so we're each, picking one position battle that we'd like to focus on uh, as fall camp starts in a couple of weeks here. Uh, and even though I was inspired by the safety position, I'm going with every wide receiver spot, not held down by Ronnie bell uh, because I assume if he's back to full health uh, that bell is going to slot in as um, I mean, certainly a starting receiver and quite possibly the number one option given uh He's the only receiver on the roster that has really shown that capability for an entire season. Um, And every other spot, I mean, I like Cornelius Johnson, but I think he's better as a kind of number two than the number one that he 
kind of was thrust into last year. And Andrew Anthony could very much could very well just pass him if he looks remotely like the receiver that he was against Michigan State last year. Uh, you got a slot Roman Wilson in somewhere. You've got AJ Henning as somebody who brings kind of a different skill set compared to everybody else. Um, who have I not mentioned yet? Uh, Darius Clemens was one of the best players in the spring game. And like, yeah, I, I think I've covered most of the guys now that actually have a chance to play, but there's, especially in a, uh, what I would generously term a low volume passing offense in all likelihood, uh, and not necessarily the most up-tempo passing offense or offense in general. Uh, there's only going to be so many, so many receptions and targets to go around and seeing how things shake out around Ronnie Bell. Um, there's a lot of talent in that room. And I imagine, uh, you know, there's going to be some talented players who end up not really being a major part of this offense. Yeah, I think AJ Henning will probably get the Eddie McDoom Memorial horizontal <laughs> running game touches, yes. but probably won't figure <laughs> figure into the passing game a whole lot. Uh, I do think that if Ronnie Bell is fully recovered from his ACL tear, that he will probably command the most targets just because he has pretty much always been that guy. You know, even with Donovan Peoples Jones or Nico Collins on the team, like Ronnie Bell got a lot of attention in the passing game. I think dude just gets open that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And beyond that, it, yeah, it will be interesting to see who the number two next to Bell is. Um, I think Johnson, Anthony and Wilson are the, the best bets there. I'm going to, I'm going to say, this is kind of an out of left field pick that Wilson steps up with his speed as the, the next guy next to Bell, but uh, it kind I, of I does like come down. Choice. Yeah. I mean, he, of... he's being overlooked, I think in, in the conversation about receivers is just somebody who, I mean, he gets talked about as a speed guy, but he was pretty darn good on intermediate stuff last year too. He he makes tough catches. Yeah, more physical than you would expect for his reputation as like a, a speedster. Uh, Anthony is the guy with the highest ceiling, so yes. I'd like to see him step up. And I think his combination of size, speed, athleticism is pretty much unmatched on this roster. So it'll be interesting too because – and I know, I know that you didn't want to focus on the, the quarterback question because <laughs> everybody's talking about it. I don't think that there's anything unique or insightful it does to be said about that. <laughs> that does kind of factor in where like, okay, hypothetically, J.J. McCarthy might be more inclined to look to Andrew Anthony, a guy who's in the same class and he's worked out with a lot and probably practiced with a lot last year relative to you know each of their time with the starters. So they might have more chemistry than, say, Cornelius Johnson, who's an upperclassman who's played with Cade for longer. I All of that is to say, and then we haven't even gotten into the tight ends, too. So playing yeah. one or two tight ends often. Because Eric Hall is going to need to be on the field. And right. Luke Scootmaker should be out there, too. Right. <laughs> two good tight ends at that. Like, there's not even going to be that many snaps for, for some of these receivers. Yeah, because you've also got two running backs who you might want to put on the field at the same time. I mean, it is it is really hard to figure this out. And yeah, especially if Michigan is going to run a lot of uh, 12 personnel where there's only two wide receivers on the field. Um, I mean, I guess there might be just a lot of rotation, but you also you want receivers to get in a rhythm. You want quarterback receiver connections to be strengthened by increased repetitions. And that tends to be by kind of whittling things down to your primary targets. And man, that's, that's just going to be really tough with this receiver room. Yeah. And I mean, I would just point out that, I mean, 
I don't necessarily want to waste the that that ceiling that you were talking about for for Anthony. And I just kind of with kind of again running 12 personnel, having kind of the the staff situation that that Michigan's in right now, and then also factoring in kind of like the quarterback situation. Um, you know, I I I have just like this 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 slight nervousness that that some of that wide receiver talent may also not necessarily be here, be around next year. So I would, yeah, yeah, really concerning to me, especially um, again, I haven't done a ton of, of work looking at, at anything in the off season, but Anthony, again, someone I know who does have that high ceiling, who does have that potential. I do do worry about, about wandering eyes elsewhere, which again would be, would make great sense for him personally, but would not be fun for, for depth. So, or us personally, and we want these players Correct. to take our feelings into account here. Yes. Uh, if you're listening, and I know you are, Andrew Anthony, um, it w- I would be really sad if you transferred, so it, please don't. It would hurt a lot. Um, Alex, which uh, which position are you, are you primarily looking at here? I'm looking at defensive end as a position where I'm, I'm very curious to see who steps onto the field and how good they are, given that Michigan's defensive success in large part was due to having two NFL quality pass rushers on the field at the same time for all of last year. It was, that was a really nice. Yeah. That was a really nice luxury. It's definitely not going to be the case this year. Michigan lost a lot of other key players from the defense. So I'm expecting the defense to take a step back, but if they can find somebody who can consistently get after the passer, no matter who it is, I think that will help things a lot. I think, you really do see sometimes with, with college teams, like if they, the, the coverage on the back end can't hold up if they can't get to the QB. And if they can't get to the QB without sending numbers on a blitz, then that compromises them in other ways, uh, especially as teams, most notably Ohio State, are moving to throwing the ball more. It's, it's going to be really important. So you have quite a few guys who saw inter- intermittent playing time last year. I think Mike Morris is a guy who is maybe more built to stop the run then get after the pass passer but I think he's going to play a lot Taylor Upshaw he's been on the team for a really long time he's he's kind of stepping into a big opportunity I liked what I saw a little bit from Jalen Harrell covering in the flat like that Mm -hmm. seemed to be what they put him out on the field for they're like hey Jalen you're really good at doing this so we're gonna gonna give you some PT and a little bit of seasoning and you're gonna do this uh it will be interesting to see how good he is at rushing the passer Braden McGregor he's a guy where you know, he was a really highly rated recruit, but had a pretty devastating injury. So you kind of wonder if he's the same athletically, you know, after that recovery, he, he could definitely find some playing time. Uh, but really it's, it's going to have to be someone, I think you look at the the defense as a whole, you feel pretty good about the defensive tackles, although the backups there are unproven, which, you know, that's got to be the case for 95% of college. Teams, so I'm not <laughs> yeah. too worried about that. Uh, linebacker feeling pretty good about it. You have a, a burgeoning star in junior Colson, who I think has a tremendous amount of upside secondary. I'm feeling good about the secondary, but, uh, again, secondaries look a lot better when you can get after the QB. If not, then guys have time to run open and your defense isn't as good. So, uh, I'd be curious to hear who you guys think will have the most sacks at the end of the year for Michigan. Oof. Um, 
I, I don't even know where I would even I think, I think to it'll start be, there. I think it'll be Morris, just because I think that other uh, edge spot is going to get a fair amount of rotation uh, as they try these guys out and kind of see who fits get best in actual game situations. And Morris, I mean, we saw his ability to get to the quarterback in the spring. We saw flashes of it last year. So just in terms of looking for somebody who's done it a little bit already um, and certainly has like, I mean, he's not going to be a 12 sack guy or whatever, but somebody who could maybe, you know, uh, be a power rusher who produces six to eight sacks. Uh, I think that's probably what you're looking at in terms of like an individual leader for Michigan this year. Like I said, I did not do a ton of work in this in in this off season or at all. So <laughs> I I'm just going to trust you on that. I will just say overall, um, and I'm sure it will be discussed as the season progresses. I think Edge is also an interesting position just because you're losing to a we've like lost to like just absolute stars. And I think Michigan fans should just be prepared for a slight regression um, just overall. So, so when we're talking about like, who's going to get the most sacks, like that number is not going to like very obviously, I feel like I'm stating the obvious, but that, that number is not going to look the same as, as what it, as when it was. So it could, it could be interesting. And I just, I would say Morris just because he's like, what I'm looking at at this depth chart right now. So that's all I got. I hope, I hope I'm right. I'm going to kick it right back to you and uh, ask for your uh, um, top non QB position battle. And this is a different twist on it. I think than uh, what me and Alex did. Yes. So you said battle. So, so typically in a battle, there's a winner and a loser. Um, And in this position, I want Ronnie Bell to lose really badly. (laughs) I want him to lose. And that is returner. I don't want to see him on the field returning the football. I can't do it. We're not doing it anymore. I'm, I am standing my ground on this. Um, So that's really all I've got. That's, that's, we, I, I can't watch that. I can't, the, the nerves that I feel simply talking about this, just, I I don't (laughs) feel good. And I think, and, and I, I would hope that they, you know, my assumption is it's going to be Henning, but um, if, if I see, if I see that happen, I'm just, I'm going to start screaming at the television. I'm, I'm screaming at, at my computer screen right now. Just, I'm trying to keep it pretty contained because this is a podcast and, and I'm talking into a microphone, but I, if we just keep literally running it back like that putting putting stars in that position and a, at a very like again risky position that doesn't that doesn't make me feel good and i honestly i'm i'm pretty sure i don't know if it was dan or connor it might have been dan who said it last year i don't i and i'm just continuing that tradition of i do not want to see the number one wide receiver returning punts i can't do it well, who, whoever said it last year, first of all, cursed them. And uh, second of all, they were very right. <laughs> yeah. So brutal. Yeah. yeah. Tough, tough, uh, tough break. But also, I mean, this is a like Michigan has a tradition going back to into the Lloyd Carr days of putting like their safest, most secure hands guy kind of no matter what. 
And this uh, putting Ronnie Bell back there, unfortunately, took that to the extreme of like, even if he's your number one receiver and is not a game breaking like Desmond Howard level returner. And that's kind of if you're going to put your number one receiver out there, you kind of need him to be like one of the best guys in the country or it's just not worth it. And Michigan has plenty of uh, very athletic dudes who, um, you know, they you don't necessarily want to look at it this way, but that Michigan can more afford to lose at, at a position that uh, tends to take some rather large hits. I'm reminded okay. that we uh, had a linebacker <laughs> returning punts for us at an All-American level a few years ago. Technically, pers- yes, very true. <laughs> I personally would just go with Caden Colasar and, and call it good. <laughs> you know, not the worst <laughs> idea. I mean, but in all seriousness, like they're like going back to that wide receiver conversation, like again, if you've got if you've got guys that have the hands um and, and you can trust a little bit that they're gonna be able to to return it and not just like completely just mess everything up, get one of those guys on the field, get them the, get them that opportunity because if Ronnie Bell is doing it, I I will become the Joker. It will be my Joker moment. <laughs> I I I refuse. I refuse to do this again. Um, but, but truly there is enough depth and, and again, kind of looking at the offense, not enough, like truly just not enough playing time. Even if you, even if there's a lot of rotation that just, just try something out, try something fun, try something new, please. Speaking of trying something new home field apparel, use promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Uh, big news Saturday continues uh, they are on a purple kick. Last week, it was Kansas State. This week, it is Northwestern. Um, we used up our bit on Ben already. Um, I'm a little upset about that. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, I have no, uh, I'm absolutely going to order some Northwestern stuff because they do not feel like rivals. Um, and also, the I, I think I look dashing in the color purple. So um yeah, and if if you like purple, this has definitely been uh, the best uh, big new Saturday series yet because they also dropped TCU in there relatively recently. So you've got options. You've I've, got a lot of options. I've been holding out for the Chris Collins barking like a dog purple T-shirt coming from Home Field Apparel. So I will... I, I can only hope that they have done that just as, <laughs> definitely. In, in as realistic a rendering as as possible. You need to etch the agony on Chris Collins' face to really <laughs> get the entire vibe of the pick. But I, I trust that they can do it. Uh, my family, my grandpa was an Oklahoma alum. So my mom and my brother have gotten wonderful new Oklahoma apparel from oh, the yes. season of Big, Big New Saturday. I will likely be joining them. Uh, big Brent Venables guy. <laughs> but anyways... <laughs> Yes, home field apparel, the loveliest t-shirts, the most comfortable t-shirts, the best t-shirts, folks. I'm yes. currently wearing one. I'm wearing my Miss Rev shirt. It's very soft. It's luxurious. Um, yeah, I didn't want to wear my Michigan one. I did have my Michigan one on, but I sort of felt like just spiritually, yeah, it says, it's, a, it's great yeah. to be a Michigan Wolverine. I was like, is it right now, given the subject <laughs> matter? Um, so I put Miss Rev on and and she's she's great. It's a great shirt. Sometimes I hesitate to wear my Michigan home field shirts when I'm hanging out with certain friends because I think that there's a pretty good chance that they could be wearing the exact same shirt. So I'm like, you know what? I got to go with my Rice Owls home field shirt or my Slippery Rock shirt, you know, change it up. 
Yeah, I don't my wear goal them has in... def definitely been to wear like the most obscure ones possible when I'm around other people. Today, it's uh, the uh, Great Midwest Champions 1992 uh, Cincinnati Bearcats basketball shirt, which uh, I have zero connection to um, Cincinnati. I've never been there. I love that. I'm wearing yeah. it. I wear, I don't wear my Michigan stuff in public generally. Cause like I said, I don't like telling people that I, that I went to Michigan. Cause it sounds really like it sounds, it sounds exactly how you think it sounds. And, and, and I don't tell people. And also I get made fun of a lot. Um, so I try not to. I find that very funny as somebody who has uh, lived their entire, uh, not, not quite entire life, but uh, ever since I started school, uh, I've lived in the Ann Arbor area. So uh, it's a little different here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, do, I don't rep like that. I do think it's different for in-state versus out-of-state, but I do feel kind of a twinge of pretentiousness when it kind of comes up and people are like, oh, where'd you go to college? I'm like, oh, I went to the University of Michigan where I got a degree in literature um, many, See, I, I feel like I lose all the all the higher ground when I say that I got my degree in history, because then people are like, "Oh, you can't be like gainfully employed," and I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you are absolutely correct." Yeah, so, I got, got my degree in investment banking and beer pong. <laughs> I mean, I should have done that. That would have been much more lucrative, but you know. Well, that's why you have a great sponsor in Homefield Apparel. <laughs> yes. That is bringing it back around. Uh, use the promo code Bucket Problem for 15% off your first order from Homefield. Uh, that is at homefieldapparel.com. Taylor is very quickly getting the hang of these ad reads. Uh, next one download the Points Bet app and use the promo code Bucket Prop to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code Bucket Prop. That is Bucket P R O B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly, set limits, avoid chasing losses, never bet what you can't afford to lose, take breaks when you need it, and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we have put off this segment for uh, uh, enough weeks that we gained a new co-host. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, two of them uh, that have filled out their answers are... Uh, not here today, uh, but uh, we wanted to do kind of as a follow-up to our uh, kind of the games that were formative for us uh, segment that we did uh, probably a month ago at this point. Um, I'm going to switch this over to formative players. Um, so I will quickly read the answers from uh, our absent co-host, Connor and Dan. Uh, Connor said Steve Breston, who was uh, emblematic of the era when it was considered impolite to have more than one shifty dude with acceleration on a Big Ten team. One of the first cruel twists of fate for me as an active Michigan fan was Breston not being used to his full potential while his Ohio State equivalent, Ted Ginn Jr., reliably ro rocked Michigan. That is a very Connor answer there. Um, Dan's, uh, he tried to opt out of Dedard saying it was too easy and then said maybe Jake Ryan and Connor told him that he's allowed to say Dedard because it is generationally appropriate. Um, so speaking of generationally appropriate, uh, Taylor, I have to go back to you because you are going to say the answer that is most recent and therefore, uh, makes me despair, uh, just heavily. Yes. Um, so I actually believe that, that Dan and I, um, at one point figured out that we went to Michigan at the same time. I think he's a few years younger than I am. Um, I'm not trying to dox him. Um, but I believe we were there approximately the same time. Um, so, so ships passing in the night as it were. Um, 
So another thing you should know about me, and I guess this is something I should have included in the introduction of like, hey, Taylor's on the podcast now. Um, I decided to go. I chose Michigan after I went on a tour of Michigan State and I hated it. Um, But prior to that, I was a Michigan State fan um, maybe from like middle school all the way until I was 17. Um, so this is my dark secret. Um, and I'm sharing it with all of you. I'm very sorry. Um, you did the Patrick Kugler, like this is like a a great (laughs) Michigan recruiting tradition of having somebody visit Michigan state and then immediately commit to Michigan upon realizing what it's like a Michigan state. I love it. Yeah. That's kind of, that's honestly literally what happened. Um, but so I went up to, I went up to Michigan, I think, um, the state of Michigan. And I told my parents, I was like, Hey, um, it, it's really stupid for us to drive all this way to just take one college tour. Um, why don't I just like schedule something in Michigan? Um, and so hated Michigan state, hated it a lot. Um, every step I walked there, um, I was really upset because I had loved this place, um, in theory since I was like 11 or whatever, like 10 or 11. Um, and then went to Ann Arbor and was like, oh yeah, no, I'm going here, mom and dad. So here I am today um, on a Michigan podcast. I'm really sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, I would say my formative college football player overall, unfortunately, is Kirk Cousins. Um, I did see him play, but this is not a Michigan State podcast. Um, I um, my, my formative Michigan football player is absolutely, um, I think, symbolically Devin Gardner. So he is certainly a symbol of a, of an era. In yes. Football. I think that, that not to say, not to say anything about like, you know, him personally, I'm sure he's lovely. Um, but I think it was more like, cause my freshman year, my freshman year, the first game was that game against Alabama um, where they let you watch it in the big house. And then we just, absolutely got curb stomped and that was upsetting um so there I was went that. To that game it was the worst decision of my life oh sorry no. continue <laughs> it's fine um so anyway uh that was brutal um but they like let you watch it in the big house it was cute and all that stuff but that was terrible um but that was like year one and year one was like fine and then and then right around like year two is kind of when things kind of went off the rails. In 2013, you could definitely say that fairly. 2013 yes. absolutely <laughs> went off the rails. Um, I, I I have to be honest with you, it was not great. Um, so I think Devin Gardner just symbolically represents that uh, because it, it sort of felt like, um, you know, I learned to temper my expectations um, <laughs> amid potential because I, I do think he had, he had, there was like, a baseline there like a formative like there were really good building blocks there and just just could not get anything going um so that would kind of be my symbolic answer but my football answer would obviously um uh, for me be Jabril Peppers because it, it he was like a player that got me more interested in kind of the finer details of the game um like I like just didn't want to be drunk in the stands all the time I wanted to be like watching this person play football um and just see what he did on both sides of the ball, honestly. So I think that, um, for me, um, especially as a more recent, um, Michigan fan, I would say that, that, that Peppers was probably one of the more electric players, especially after the era that I attended Michigan. 
So that, that would be my answer. Um, so yeah, shout out, shout out to the very recent uh, Michigan fans out there. <laughs> We're out there. Yeah. Jabril Peppers is a, is a good answer for the um, like getting beyond Michigan as just a uh, character building experience <laughs> and, and into something that's actually enjoyable. Uh, Alex, you also have a very uh, kind of uh, representative of an era. Yeah, answer. this this uh, definitely kind of harkens back to my childhood. I, I did grow up a Michigan fan. I actually grew up with a, a Michigan State fan who was a good friend of mine who wound up going to Michigan because he wanted to be an engineer and he lives in Ann Arbor still. So it, it you do see some of those MSU to U of M transfer fans, if you will. Uh, and I also do want to say that Devin Gardner, even though I defended him all the time on Twitter, I found out randomly that he blocked me. So same, same. I don't know why it's I was been that like, way for years. I, I was trying to like defend you, Devin. That's, I mean, please unblock me. I mean, at, at the same time, I understand why that man would want to uh, limit the input that he receives on Twitter, especially when he was in College of Michigan. Yeah, that's I could see that. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a very digressive and indirect way to lead into my selection for my most formative player. And I don't know that he was my favorite player at the time, but the most formative player for me was Mike Hart. In the notes for our show here, I wrote over a thousand carries, 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, 4-0 against State, 0-4 against Ohio State. That whole nucleus of talent in the mid-2000s came at a defining time for me as a young fan. I was... 11 when Mike Hart first started playing football for U of M. Um, and he was such a, a cornerstone of the program and like a really interesting way because he had that reputation as a, an unheralded undersized recruit, but he was so productive and Michigan, even at that time under Lloyd Carr was just accustomed to trotting out a bunch of beefy dudes on offense and trying to run it right at you over and over and over again. And it's kind of about the time where teams figured out that effective offenses did other things. <laughs> so it was a little anachronistic in some a way. Some faster than others. <laughs> yeah, some faster than others. I, it would really be interesting someday to read a book about that spread revolution in the in the 2000s, I think. From I the not, perspective of Mike DeBoard. Yeah, I would not I would not like to read the Rich Rodriguez chapter. <laughs> oh, man. But anyways, anyways, back to Mike Hart and that those late car teams. Uh, for me, a Michigan grad, pushing almost 30 who's been a lifelong fan I think there's nothing that guys my age with my background like doing more than remembering guys from from those teams like yes Prescott Burgess um Adrian Arrington uh David Boss Tyler Ecker who didn't pitch the ball and made me cry as a little child after the you remember some for better reasons Nebraska, than others. Nebraska game. <laughs> I just am unloading all of this uh, pain and suffering as a Michigan fan. Oh, but no, we don't want to do that. Mike Hart was awesome. He never fumbled. He was super reliable. He was a great face of the program and seeing him come back as a coach for me, like, beyond the fact that he made our running back room immediately awesome, which is a, a nice perk. It was just really cool to see somebody who had meant so much to me as a fan, like watching him play, you know, obviously we all grow up, the players grow up, their careers at U of M are, are usually very short. Mike Hart, not really much of an NFL guy, never really had that kind of 
physical ability to also to succeed got hurt at that once level. he got there, which did not help. No, and yeah, I mean, for guys who are kind of borderline in the first place, those yeah. injuries can be pretty much career ending. But he's been a great football coach, and I think his career trajectory is really promising. And yeah, just Chad Henney, Steve Breston, as Connor Connor mentioned, um, Alan Branch, David Harris, uh, Ottawa Hills grad, uh, proud Grand Rapidian. David I feel Harris. I feel obligated to say Mario Manningham because he has not come up yet. Mario Manningham, Leon Hall, and Lamar Woodley. Lamar Woodley. He Lamar. Woodley Those teams were ama- like he was goaded for real. Yeah, like thankfully we're not doing a uh, coordinators that shaped us segment because uh, God, I think all of us would choose Mike DeBoard, and it, it would just be for terrible, terrible reasons. Because um, yeah, we haven't even. I, mentioned- I guess we could throw Ron English in there. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Jake Long either. Jake Long, oh man, beast. yeah. I mean, that whole offensive line was NFL caliber. It's really it, Michigan had an obscene amount of talent in the mid two thousands and did a uh, phenomenal job of uh, squandering large parts of it. But um, it, there were some some fond memories in there for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, I would, <laughs> I'm ready to go back still, except for the part where they never beat Ohio State. Um, one big exception there, uh, but um, yeah. It was a good era. And Mike Hart, I think, was generally Sports Illustrated decided he was the uh, the face of that era. Yeah. And pretty much every kid I grew up with, he was their favorite player. I I don't know. I would say Mario Manningham. He might, he might have been mine. But yeah, Mike Hart, he was everywhere. Now, you still see number 20 jerseys at the big house. Yeah. So. I mean, when I got to Michigan in 2006, that was easily the jersey you saw most around campus. And yeah. there were there were some good ones to choose from uh, at that time too, uh, but twenty was everywhere. Yeah, you want to keep the focus on current players, but there are a lot of past players who would still sell jerseys. Like number sixteen, Robinson would sell. Number oh twenty, my goodness. Hart would and, sell. And please give him all of the all of the <laughs> revenue from that because right. we owe that man back pay. Yeah, Denard needs a sinecure as like Michigan football uh, legend emeritus. Oh man! All right. Um, I know Alex has a hard out coming up here in a little bit, so I'll, I'll try to get through mine. I also wrote too many players because I couldn't make a decision despite having a month to whittle this down. Uh, but I um, I moved to Michigan in 1993, not to make uh, myself feel ancient. Um, and we got tickets for the next season. So the first, like, I mean, when you're six years old, seven years old, you, you're kind of just looking at the football. So I was watching Tyrone Wheatley, um, who also just looked extremely cool. Like he, he wears a single digit number. He has, uh, one of the biggest sets of shoulder pads I've ever seen. Um, he looks like he should be this thunderous power back. And then he's got this tremendous track speed. Uh, I loved watching him play, but Really, for me, it was more um, Tim Biakabatuka because I had kind of just learned a little bit more about the game and how to watch it by that point. Um, also, tremendously cool name, fun to say. I would literally just walk around my house saying uh, saying his name, uh, and my parents thought that was very normal, very very normal. Um, and I think, like, even in 1994 when I first started, he was starting to like cut into Tyrone Wheatley's carries and. To me, uh, the 313-yard game against Ohio State has almost kind of taken away from how unbelievable he was throughout his whole Michigan career. I mean, this was a guy who went 
top 10 in the NFL draft and was starting to look quite good as an NFL back before um, uh, back when ACL injuries could be career ending. He had a bad ACL injury, but um, he was, he was probably the guy who just like, in terms of the combination of like played a really fun game. He was really like Wheatley was more just like a blow past you or run through you guy. Whereas Biakabatuka, even though he had a lot of size would absolutely juke you out of your jock. And um, it was, he was the guy who like, I just most like tuned into during my uh, early years of watching Michigan football. And then obviously uh, Charles Woodson hits during my formative years and was uh, one of the coolest people to ever play the game. So um, he also qualifies. And then I just want to throw in a quick uh, emblematic basketball shout out for Jamal Crawford, who became my favorite player somewhere in those 17 games. He was at Michigan uh, before the NCAA stepped in and, uh, Michigan basketball was then extremely bad <laughs> for a while. And that was the Michigan basketball of my youth for you. Uh, post, uh, post fab five sanctions. Yeah. Michigan basketball was bad when I was a kid too, but I was actually talking about this the other day with my folks, but uh, all the kids that are currently being recruited by Michigan basketball only know a world in which Michigan basketball is super successful and routinely sends guys to the NBA. And I'm glad that it is that way, but man, there were, there were some lean years. It's yeah. Kind of interesting. I'm still that, wrapping my head around that. The, the thing you just said. <laughs> yeah. When, when Cade Cunningham said that he was like the ball boy under the basket for the Trey Burke shot against Kansas. I'm like, wow. The last six or seven years have flown by. That is deeply um, upsetting. That, that's, <laughs> that's like that, 10 years now. I, that is oh, so upsetting. Man. I'm, I'm I, sorry. I was absolutely a freshman when that happened because they let, because they, I, I, oh my God, I was a freshman for that. I yeah, covered wow. that team. I was a professional. <laughs> yeah, I was a, a sophomore who made the road trip to Atlanta. Uh, <sighs> and I watched the Trey Burke shot in the same uh, crappy college apartment as the Alabama game that we referenced. Um, I guess my, I can't be yeah. mad about like, feeling old and dated when I just brought up Jamal Crawford, who is famous for being the oldest freaking dude in the NBA. <laughs> Not even in the NBA anymore, tragically. Yeah, and now and now he is finally just taking his game to uh like permanently to the street ball circuit, which is like really where his game belongs. It, it, it's wonderful. It's an appropriate afterlife for a, a career like Jamal Crawford's, although I bet you still could get him as a free agent in 2K. So the dream, the dream still lives. He's not, and, and I might retired. do that. You know, he, he's, <laughs> I'm sure he's got enough badges left where it's worth putting him in as a mentor to somebody. <laughs> he was good for a good 40 points off the bench when he played with the Clippers in 2K. That was a, that was an awesome team. Yeah. The only thing I like more than, um, talking about mid 2000s Michigan players is mid 2010s underrated 2k teams Uh, yes shout out to the Chandler Parsons Rockets (laughs) (laughs) the most random players become like borderline unfair in video games Um, that is that is so true um I did want to just say um I want to follow up because I did throw in the show notes that at one point I did go before I took the tour of Michigan State that made me hate it I did go to a game at Spartan Stadium and I do and it was either 2009 or 2010 their home opener so it was either um if it was 2009 it was Montana uh it was Montana State or in 2010 it was um Western Michigan. I want to say it was the Western Michigan one because 
um, I, I, I was pretty sure it was a directional. So hashtag um, real rivals. That's, that's true. Um, so yeah, uh, that, um, I thought would be nice for you to know, because this is, um, the, the country's foremost Michigan state podcast. Um, <laughs> now that I'm here, um, and Dan might still be on RCMB. You never know. Now I'm there as a fan, actually. I'm there as a as pro, uh, Michigan state, but, um, yeah. So I remember that happening. Um, I thought Spartan stadium was really cool. Um, it's not, uh, no, it's horrible. No, it's, it's awful. One, it's one of the worst days I've ever been to. It's literally terrible. And I, I, I will say I here's here's a formative football thing. Like I went into the big house for the first time when I was a freshman and I like, like I almost could have like peed my pants. It was like the coolest experience ever. So like, you know, we're, we're very lucky as Michigan fans to have the experience that we do. Um, but yeah, I watched some real bad football in there though. Seen I mean, some real bad things. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that Kirk Cousins got a shout out as the uh, second most famous product of Holland Christian High School. <laughs> not going to get into the first most famous. Let's not. Let's, let's not. not. No. That seems like a wonderful place to end this podcast. <laughs> um, thank you to Alex and Taylor for joining. Uh, Taylor, particularly welcome. It's it's great to have you on. Uh, thank you so much. Please uh, follow at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this year free podcast. Use the promo code Bucket Problem at homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code Bucket Prob on PointsBet. Uh, thanks for listening and have a great week.